Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I want to uh, start by reading from Hebrews, the 11th chapter, if you want to stand with me this morning. I know you've been standing quite a bit, but since I'm standing, it always makes me feel better to know that you might be uncomfortable too. (laughs) That's terrible. (laughs) Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Notice the next words. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And then notice what Paul says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. How did he please God? What was his commendation for? It was for his faith. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who haphazardly seek him. Or when it's conveniently. No. They diligently and earnestly seek him. Now, Lord Jesus, this morning we are here, Lord, because we love you, first of all, and we honor you not just with our voices this morning, but with our lives. And tonight I want to give you, or this morning I want to give you the praise for what you're about to do in the hearts of those that have come into the sanctuary. Touch the brokenhearted, heal the wounded, but also give courage to the faint and direction to the lost, and we'll give you all the praise and glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I might, I'm going to maybe show you something this morning. I'd, I'd like you to walk away with learning something that you didn't know before you came here. I, I try to make that a goal. I want you to see something maybe you've never seen before and can't always do that because some of you have been around a long time. Really long time. And uh, you, you've heard a lot. But I want to take you back to Genesis, the fifth chapter. I want to talk a little bit about Enoch this morning. He's, he's quite a character, and he's only mentioned a few times in the Bible, but there's some things that he represents way back in the Old Testament that affect us in the New Testament. It says in verse 21 of Genesis 5, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, notice this. Now, you might have read this before, but I may want you to see something that you've never seen. After Methuselah was born, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. 
Then he was no more because God took him away. And then one more verse, actually two more verses here in Jude, the 14th and 15th verse. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. Now he's prophesying way, way before the flood. And notice his prophecy. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they've committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Well, it shows us a little bit about the time he lived in. He lived basically 969 years before the flood. Now, here's something that I find interesting. Methuselah, it says after his son was born, something happened. Now, you can read it two different ways. You can say that after Methuselah was born, he lived 300 more years and continued to serve God. Or you can read it the way that it's written in the scripture and say that after Methuselah was born, he began to serve God for the remainder of his life, 300 years. It seems to insinuate that something dramatic happened at the birth of Methuselah. Now, with what I'm going to share with you, it, it might give you a little bit of insight as to what happened. Methuselah was the oldest man to have lived that we're aware of in Scripture. 969 years old he lived. Now, if we go back and, and you look at the calendar, in Hebrew tradition, they believe that he died on the 11th of Cheshun. That's a calendar, a month of the year in the Hebrew calendar, and I probably pronounced it wrong. In the year 1656, if we look at that date in regards to the flood, tradition, Hebrew tradition said that he died seven days before the flood came out upon the earth. Well, that's very interesting because if you go back to the seventh chapter of Genesis... Notice how, what it says about what happened seven days before the flood. Now, Methuselah isn't mentioned here, and that's probably why we miss it. It said, then the Lord said to Noah, enter, you, enter the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. You are to take with you seven pairs, a male and its female, of all the clean animals, and two of the animals that are not clean, a male and its female, and seven pairs, male and female, of the birds of the sky, in order to keep offspring alive on the face of the whole earth. Now, I'll remind you that this is a universal judgment on all humanity. It affected every person on the face of the earth just like his prophecy said. Then notice verse 4. 
Seven days from now, I will make it rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe off from the face of the earth everything I have made, and Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. Methuselah died on the day that Noah and his family went into the ark. Enoch had prophesied that there was going to be a universal judgment that was going to affect all. Now, I think that same prophecy can affect our generation because there is a judgment that's coming upon this earth where this earth is going to be purged. But what, what happened that caused Enoch to change? Is it possible that the Lord, when Methuselah was born, told him that when this child dies, my judgment will come. And it changed his life, and he lived a life that was so faithful and so pleasing to God that God took him, and he was not. That he got the hint, he got the drift, he got in the stream, He saw what God was about to do, and he devoted the remainder of his life only 300 years. Now you say, wow, 300 years. No, he's kind of a young kid when he died. Noah was 656. They lived a long time. He, He died at the young age of only 365. But he pleased God. Faith is, now I know what the scripture says, faith is the substance of things not seen, it's the evidence of things hoped for. But let me tell you another definition. Faith is hearing, faith cometh by hearing. Faith is believing, he that cometh to God must first believe that he is. And faith is acting, faith without works is dead. There's three elements to faith, hearing, believing, and acting. If you disengage any one of those terms, your faith is tainted. In other words, if you don't hear, your faith cannot increase. If you do not believe what you hear, the second stage, you will not act. But what happened to Enoch, God spoke, he believed, and he walked with God And please God, your faith has three distinct elements. It's important to come and hear the word of God. Because your faith is increased by the anointed, preached word of God. The world tells me, seeing is believing. God tells me in his word that... No, believing is seen. I believe, thus I see. He that cometh to God must first believe, not see, because in the New Testament was always, Lord, show us thy works, do a work, and I'll believe you. But God says, you've got it all wrong. That's the world's standard. My standard is believe, and then you will see. He that believeth on me as the word of God speaks, 
Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. It starts with you believing the spoken word of God and then doing something with it. If you want to grow in faith, walk with the faithful. You ever hear the old saying, birds of a feather flock together? There's a lot of truth to that. If you want to soar with the eagles, don't walk with chickens. Enoch's name, it's interesting when you look at the name of Enoch, it literally means dedicated one, consecrated one. And the Bible says, be ye holy, for I am holy, consecrated. And so my name is Stephen, and I think it means a prince with God, something like that. (laughs) I don't know if I ever lived up to that name, but... My, my God, the God's name or my, my life in God, my faith names me consecrated one, given over to God. So by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him away. Isn't it interesting that after he was taken, maybe nobody hardly even knew anything about Enoch. But when he disappeared, it said that many people looked for him and they could not find him. I sometimes wonder about the second coming of Christ. We know that that's, that's coming up sooner than what you probably think. All you have to do is, like Brother Kylie said, turn on the radio and It's screaming over the airwaves, church, get ready. Church, get ready. The trumpet's about to sound. And because you are consecrated and you're walking with God and believing believing God and doing the things that God has called you to do, God will be pleased with you and he will take you out of the way. See, Enoch, there's a direct correlation between what happened to Enoch and the church. And I think that after the rapture, there's going to be a lot of people looking for you. And I think they're going to realize how important the church was on earth. Because the Bible says, he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. In other words, the church is taken out of the way. What's, What's something that's in the way? Something that's in the way is holding back something else. Have you ever gotten impatient with somebody that's just sort of dawdling and said, get out of the way? In other words, they're holding you back. Satan wants the church out of his way because the church is holding back the flood of evil. Yes, we see evil today, but when the church is gone... There'll be nothing to restrain evil from doing what it wants to do. And all of a sudden, they'll start looking for the church. There's another person that's interested in this scripture, and 
I could relate to him very well too. His name's Elijah. <clears throat> when I look at Elijah, I, I see a very similar story. And so I'm going to talk about him in just a moment, but I want to remind you a living faith is a faith that never dies. A living faith is an undying faith. Now, there's challenges to your faith, and you may feel that your faith is dead. I think we've all been to that point at one time or another where we wonder why this has happened to us. But faith continues on. Out of sight doesn't mean out of mind. I shared this with you before, but I think it's worth repeating that God told us there would be tests in our life. There were going to be periods of trials that we were going to go through. And matter of fact, the Psalm, the 23rd chapter, tells us that we're going to walk through valleys of the shadow of death. We're going to experience the the trepidation and discouragement that comes through things that are obscured because of obstacles that block the sun or block God's word to our heart. But my faith says I should not fear those things around me because God will never depart from me. Faith tells me that God never leaves. God does not change And let me tell you, sometimes when you're pleasing God, you're displeasing others. <laughs> you ever wonder why people are mad at Christians all the time? Let's, let's make a list. What are Christians doing that upsets people so much? Well, they're lifting up a name that upsets Satan, of course. They're not trying to steal things. They're not lying. They're not committing abomination or adulteries. They're faithful in their giving. They're, they're good in the communities that they live in. They support the sick and help the needy. What is it that would upset anyone about a Christian? Darkness is never like light. Because light has power over darkness. There's no, you don't turn on the light bulb called darkness to drive away the light. You turn on the light bulb and the light bulb drives away the darkness. And when the, word, the church lives in the world, the light of the gospel of Christ shines forth from us and reveals the world for what it is, the evil, the wickedness. And the conscience of the person involved in the action is pricked. His conscience convicts him, and conviction causes unrest. So what do you do? You break the light bulb. You turn off the source of power. Have you ever wondered why people get so upset about mentioning the name of Jesus? Well, we shouldn't mention the name of Jesus. Well, I'll tell you, if you want to watch TV, you'll find Jesus' name mentioned there. They don't have any problem 
using it in a degrading way. But lift up the name of Jesus and something powerful happens because the name of Jesus draws people to Christ. I'm going to stop here for a moment and I want to share a little bit of a testimony with you. I I'd wondered about doing it. Not many people are, are aware of this, but I think uh, when I heard one of the first songs we sang today that, that God said, I want you to share that testimony because I want, I want to get the victory through the circumstance that I've, I'm bringing you through. And I say that because I'm still not brought through, but he's bringing me through. And this is a great testimony. I'm excited about it. Uh, about a month ago, I uh, was sitting, my daughter was over, and she said, Dad, I, I noticed this big lump on your neck. I, you should really get that looked at. And it sort of blends within with the fat that hangs from my neck anyways, and I thought nobody would notice. And so I had a physical, and I said, all right, I'll mention it to the doctor. And, and so the doctor says, yeah, we should probably look at it, and I'll set you, schedule you for a CAT scan. And uh, we went in, and uh, a few days later, I don't know why this happened, but my phone, it allows every, every solicitor to call me. But it would not allow my doctor through. And she kept calling me and saying, you've got to call me back. You've got to call me back. Turn off the blocker that you have on your phone. And I couldn't understand it. I finally went to a different phone and I said, call this number. Well, she, we finally connected and she said, you know what, um, you've got not only the mass on your neck, but we found a mass that we're more concerned about uh, deep in your, in your neck that affects your esophagus and we believe it's affecting your vocal cords. And we need to get those out right away. And so she said, I'm going to schedule, schedule a referral for you, and I want you to go to the cancer center, and we need to get this taken care of, Prano Este. That's Spanish, by the way. How did I do, brother? Was that all right? Good. That means right away. And so I went in, and uh, the first appointment, the guy sort of told me, he says, you know, this, this isn't good. I don't know why they even, he was a surgeon, ear, nose, and throat surgeon. He said, this is out of my league. Uh, I want to send you over to more of a specialist in, in, in the cancer center, other area of the cancer center. And the guy was, I was surprised when he said that because he was the head of the area. He was a chief physician in the area that he was practicing. But he says, I want to tell you something, um, you may have to make a decision whether you want to treat this and get rid of it or lose your voice and not talk again. That may be your decision. So he said, you need to, you need to start thinking about that now. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your vocal cords. Now this sounds crazy, okay? But I've had a great education in the last couple of weeks. I would say thank God for the internet, but I don't think the internet helped me that much. As a matter of fact, when I started to read some of the stuff concerning it, it only made me a little bit more nervous. 
Um, Vocal cords are no longer being called vocal cords because they're not necessarily cords. Vocal cords are now being called vocal folds because they're built up of muscle, ligaments, and membranes. Now, when I was in this doctor's office at Freighter, the first one that was so negative, he allowed me to watch him scope my vocal cords. So he stuck it down and turned the light on, and it wasn't very bad at all. He had numbed up my throat. And he said, now, make sounds. And I watched the vocal cords. When I would breathe, they would open up, and they would allow air to come into my lungs. But when I would speak, the air would reverse, and they would vibrate. And it was amazing. All the sounds that come through those two little muscles, I tried to, they call them folds, but the best description I can give you of what I saw, they were like lips. They were like lips that vibrated with the air that was coming through from your lungs up through your trachea and out your mouth and your nose. And those vibrations were controlled by the muscles and ligaments of your neck. Have you ever watched this? I was watching the praise singers today as they were singing because this has been so interesting to me. How how you change to hit the high notes. Ah, ah. Because, that's pretty good, isn't it? I should do a special. Because when you make a sound, it's just not those two little lips, those folds, but your whole trachea, from here all the way up through your throat, the molecules of air that are produced through the the vibration of your vocal cords travel up through your nasal cavity, through your mouth, past your teeth, and everything's involved in producing your voice. The, the vocal cords don't produce the voice, they produce a vibration. Everything else creates your voice. Like now, how does this sound? Does this sound pretty good? I changed my voice quite a bit. Because everything that God gave me to create my voice, everything was created for me to praise him. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. So the lung comes up through that little area and the vibrations shake and it comes up through my nose and everything is being formed and when it leaves my lips is the finished product. So that's your anatomy lesson. So I, my, my trial was, I, I thought, God, that's like taking the hammer away from the carpenter. Take my voice? Then I realized that there was a lot more than that because there'd be feeding tubes while the voice would hear. You know, you'd go all, you'd learn too much. You just, you have to stop and turn it off and say that, stop it. And it was a trial for me because I thought, how could I express myself? How could I, how could I carry on a conversation? How could I preach? How could I do the things that God's called me to do? I, it was scary. How could I couldn't sing? 
all the things that I loved were being challenged. And I thought, Satan will find any way that he can to challenge the person who brings forth the word of God that produces faith and provides action. And I began to realize, you know, this is just an intimidation tactic. And so I had a while to think about this, and I went to camp, and I didn't share, I, I didn't share this with hardly anybody. I shared it with my brother and just a few people, friend, close friends. And I went to camp, and uh, on Sunday night, I said, I'm going to be the first, one of the first people to the altar. And you know, preachers don't like to be the first one because they think that people are going to think, well, that man's got a problem. That's why he's the first one here. You know, the guy at the altar that's there first has got the most sin in his life, you know. If you come last, it means that you're doing pretty good and you don't really need to be there, but you're just going to come and see what's left over. But I, I got close to the altar, and it was like the Spirit says, no, I want you all the way to the altar. And so the nice thing about being my size is I can usually push the little ones out of the way. And when I touched, I said, it was like the Lord says, no, touch the altar. And I know that this is, sounds strange, but this is what happened. I said, I've got to touch, the, I have to be at the altar. It isn't good enough being back from it. And I said, Lord, I am here because I trust you, and I'm going to continue to live for you. But Lord, this is certainly causing me some anxiety. And I know we shouldn't have anxiety, but I was a little anxious and the second I touched the altar, the Lord spoke to me in my mind and said, because you have sought me with your heart, I will take care of you and the things that you fear shall not happen to you. But you know, it wasn't good enough like because I said every time the altar call came, I said, even though I did it one time, I want to be the first one there because it meant so much to me. Now, I'm preaching. I know this sounds like a testimony. It meant so much to me as I thought about how I would ever face the trial of not being able to communicate with my voice, to talk with a conversation, to think about it. I might as well take my cell phone and chuck it the only thing it'd be good for is playing solitaire. But it was important enough for me to do something about it. How important is the thing that you're going through? Now, you can please God by believing in him, or you cannot believe in him, and both of you will be unhappy. Because God's not pleased when you don't trust him. Do you see that? He pleased God because he believed in God. If I don't believe in God, it's impossible for me to please God. You ever hear the song, Trust and Obey? Here. I can sing yet. 
Trust and obey. See all the muscles acting here? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And that rings true tonight or this morning. So I wanted to leave you. Oh, I, I forgot the best part. <laughs> I went back and saw the third surgeon. And I walked into his office and he said, you know, I've looked at this and I'm contemplating this. And he says, you know, it is not what, it, what they say it is. It's not nearly as bad as it was. He said, you know what, I think um, uh, if it's cancerous, that's another thing. I'm going to do an ultrasound on you and I'm going to look at it. He did everything right there, right in his office. He says, we're going to look at this. Did the ultrasound. And then he said, you know, it doesn't even seem to be affecting your vocal cords or your vocal folds. And you know what? If it's not cancerous, I don't think, maybe we just don't do anything. It's sounding better all the time. He said, you know, we'll monitor it. And if you live to be a thousand years old, we might have a problem. And I says, well, I don't think I need to worry about making it that far. But see, God's in control. And I'm, I'm speaking this in faith because I haven't got the results back until tomorrow about whether it's cancerous or not. But it, it isn't. I'll just tell you right now, it's not. So I'm saying this this morning. If there's ever a time that I'm not going to keep my mouth shut, it's now. If anything, if this has done anything to me, it is giving me such a respect for God's creation and for what gift I have of communication that I value it, the simple things. You know, I, when did you think about your voice the last time? When did you thank God for your voice? To be able to speak and to communicate, to pray, to lift up the name of Jesus, to cast out spirits with the spoken word, to speak faith. We as Christians forget the gifts we enjoy every day. And in a sense, we become the unthankful. And I can tell you where unthankfulness leads. You say, well, Brother Kylie, I don't really have a lot to thank God for. Holy cow. Think about that. You got a lot to be thankful for. So I want to close this morning with one more example. I, I appreciate you letting me share that. And I, I, when these things happen to me, I want to throw it back in the face of the devil. He meant it for my hurt but God meant it for my gain. Those trials you're facing that you feel are overwhelming you, you may be think that they're sent to hurt you, but you're wrong. What does not kill you only makes you stronger. And who has the power over life and death but God alone? And if you're in God's arms, don't fear death. Welcome faith. 
I'm going back to 2 Kings. I want to share just another couple things with you that I think you'll, you'll enjoy. We talked earlier about Elijah. Oh, I'd already marked it. I can just go right there. I'm going to probably read most of this chapter because it's very interesting. 2 Kings, the second chapter, verse 1. The time had come. Now remember, Elijah and Enoch share a very similar story. The time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up into heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord is sending me unto Bethel. But Elisha replied, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. You know, the Lord gives all of us a chance, if we wish to, to depart. We all have free will. But those that depart, when they do depart, oftentimes miss the blessing. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? Now, I find this really interesting. How did they know that? How did they know? Did God speak to them? How did Elisha know? He said, yes, I know. Be quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here. The Lord is sending me to Jericho. This is the second time Elijah has given him a chance to stop following him. Do you know that the, the Lord will give you a chance to continue on before he blesses you? He'll give you a choice. He'll test your faith. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Then the sons of the prophets who were in Jericho came up to Elijah and said, do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? He said, yes, I know. Be quiet. It seems like everybody knows. Elijah said to him, hey, stay here. The Lord's sending me to the Jordan. Hey, you guys don't need to come to church. Stay home. Stop working for God. You don't need to follow any further. But when you have the Holy Ghost inside of you and you have the vision of the gospel, your response is, hey, no. I'm going all the way. For there's a crown of glory waiting for me at the end of this road. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now, I thought this was cool, too. Fifty men from the sons of the prophets came and stood facing them from a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. I can see them with their lawn chairs. They got little cups with the little straws in them with little flowers. They're relaxing, watching this show. They all know what's going to happen. It's almost like the night me and my wife went out to watch the fireworks. Oh, yeah, they're going to start blowing up pretty soon. And you know a lot of people come to church like that. Oh, we're going to have a move of God today. Let's, let's get comfortable. We got everything we need. Let's see what happens. But Elisha says, I don't want to be sitting in the back. I want to be where the action is because I want what he's got. I want the spirit of Elijah in me. I want the spirit 
of Jesus in me. I want a double portion. I want to do greater things than he did. Well, he took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, which parted to the right and the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground, and they had crossed over. Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. So Elijah answered, please let me inherit two shares of your spirit. Elijah replied, you have asked for something difficult. If you see me being taken from you, you will have it. If not, you won't. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up into heaven in the whirlwind, and as Elijah watched, he kept crying out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Do you think he was excited? Absolutely. Then he never saw Elijah again. He took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. Elijah picked up the mantle that had fallen off Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle. Elijah dropped and struck the waters. Where's the Lord God of Elijah? He asked. He struck the waters himself, and they parted to the right and to the left. And Elisha crossed over. And when the sons of the prophets from Jericho who were facing him saw, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Do you think that they thought that maybe there wasn't enough of the spirit of Elijah to go around and that only one man could be blessed? Do you think that God can only anoint the pastor of this church? Don't you think that there's enough of the power of God in this place to take the youngest child or the oldest man or the oldest woman and give them the power to do what the apostles and prophets did? They came to meet him and bowed down to the ground in front of him. Then the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, since there are 50 strong men here with your servants, please let them go and search for your master. Maybe the spirit of the Lord carried him away and dropped him somehow on the mountains or in the valleys. He sort of slipped out of the chariot. He may be wounded. Isn't it amazing that we have faith enough to believe but when the very act for the thing that we believe in is taking place, we have doubts about receiving it? And we, we just doubt? Isn't that the same thing that happened with Enoch? The Lord took him and then everybody was searching for him and they couldn't find Enoch. That's what the scripture said. They went out and he was found not. And here again, Elijah's taken and everybody's looking for him even though they know that God took him. You need to get rid of your unbelief and stop searching for reasons not to trust God. And so, as I wrap this up, I want to tell you that these two men pleased God. God, who is no respecter of persons, he doesn't judge you by how you look in your body, now, notice how I'm saying it, whether you're tall or skinny or whatever your appearance is. He's no respecter of persons, but he is looking for people that he can use. I don't think Paul was very good looking from what I hear. 
But Paul was powerful because Paul was willing to surrender his life totally to God, so much so that he did not even want to marry a woman, lest that woman distract him from his duties to God. He was totally committed. Well, these two people, it says, did not die. We know he says he didn't die. It says Enoch did not die. And Elijah was taken up into the clouds of the air. Now, I've heard in Revelation and prophecy about the two witnesses. And matter of fact, if you don't mind, I'm going to go back there and just read a couple of verses so you can see where I'm talking. Revelation, the 11th chapter. There's a spider that was just killed lying on Revelation 21. and He's right above the word, the victory. <laughs> That's scary. The word of God is powerful. <laughs> Notice 11, Revelation 11. Then I was given a measuring reed like a rod with these words. Go and measure the God's sanctuary and the altar and count those who worship there, but exclude the courtyard outside the sanctuary. Don't measure it because it's given to the nations and they will trample the holy city for two to 42 months. I will empower my two witnesses. Doesn't it refer to Enoch as being a witness? And they shall prophesy for 1260 days, three and a half years, dressed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone wants to harm them, fire comes from their mouth and consumes their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These men have the power to close up the sky so that it does not rain during the days of the prophecy. They also have power over the waters to turn them unto blood and to strike the earth with every plague whenever they want. I believe there is a very good chance that the two witnesses are the two people that never saw death because the soul that sinneth shall die. Every person ever born will die. But we know Enoch didn't, and we know Elijah didn't. But God had a better plan bringing them back, and during the tribulation period, they die. And their bodies lay in the street, and then God raises them up. You would think that these two people, because they plead God so much, would have a happy ending. No. See, the cause is greater than your convenience. The cause of the gospel of Christ is much more important than everything going good in your life. God doesn't want, doesn't, didn't come to earth so that you could just solely be happy every single day. There's a mission and a purpose. And sometimes people suffer for the salvation of others. But they had power. Out of their mouth came fire to destroy their enemies. And some of you said, boy, I wish I had that power. You don't know you have it? You don't? Oh, you didn't know that. Didn't Jesus say that Whatsoever you shall bind in earth shall be bound in heaven. Do you think that was just for Peter? Isn't there power in your mouth? 
In my name you shall cast out demons. You shall pray for the sick and they shall recover. The dead shall be raised. Isn't there power in your mouth? Didn't God give you vocal cords and a nasal cavity and a mouth and a tongue and teeth to pronounce faith and to change the world? Now, the mouth is a good thing, and I use it a lot, like this afternoon. It'll enjoy a bratwurst. But that's not solely why it was created. So you, and I'm closing now, so use what God gave you for the reason that he gave it to you, and don't hold back because there is power in your mouth. And if you want to please God... Please him by obeying him and walking faithfully with him and consecrating your life unto him. That's how he's pleased. Let's stand together. You know the trials that we face? I'm so thankful for them because they change your perspective so much. Every time I sing, every time I speak, I will always remember how thankful I am that I can. Lord Jesus, this morning, every one of us has come from a different area in our walk for God. Some of us right now are on the mountaintop enjoying life. We're totally blessed, Lord. But some, Lord, have come struggling it could be something physical it could be something emotional it could be grief we're all in a different place but Lord your spirit flowing through the bodies of those that are here through the mouth of those that are in this place has the power to release people from discouragement and depression and despondency I know, Lord, it's just not the preacher. It's just not one source from the pulpit. But we minister to one another the words of faith and encouragement. Help us to use the gifts that we have and the tools that are in our hand to tear down the strongholds of the enemy that has tried to block our peace and to inhibit a revival for our city. Help us to use our mouth to lift up the name of Jesus, to drive away spirits that try to cause others to stumble and fall. I, through the spoken word of my mouth today, in the name of Jesus, bind Satan. I plead the blood of Jesus upon those that are consecrated through the waters of repentance. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.